there's a comment uh, JB that oh, says oh my god yeah an excellent yes. an excellent beard game JB oh thank you thank you very much well I have been working on it and I think I've learned how to get the balance right between the left and the right at one stage I had more hair growth on the left and less on the right which uh, I've now worked out how to do look at Anne's beard I mean there is a professional beard ladies and gentlemen you reckon and yeah you are an inspiration for my beard wow i feel very privileged that you say such a thing um no it's not my first radio no i do you know what this was as a result of um this sorry this is the beauty we don't have this we don't normally have extra people talking to us this is all very odd um so normally so this this was as a result four years ago um or was it five five years ago uh i did movember and um, oh. essentially, my missus had always bluntly refused to let me grow a beard. And then I said, well, I'm doing it for charity. And it got to the end of the month and she said, actually, I quite like it. And the rest is history. So there you That's go. That's the same pretty much uh, as my wife, Christabel, who um, really didn't ever want me to have a beard. And then I grew it and she fell in love with me all over again. It's amazing, isn't it? What a beautiful yeah. thing it is. And then I shaved it, uh, shaved it all off, um, and I think I think she was on the cusp of, of leaving me at that point. But so I grew it rapidly, and look at it now, and she's back in in total love with me again. It's beautiful. It is absolutely stunning. Right, I think we should get going, and then um, as other people, I thought we were. Oh, oh, I, thought oh, we, I, I thought we were going. Oh, so we'll be recording. Are we going? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Crikey! Right, okay. So, so uh, anyway, um, hello everybody. Um, my. Um, uh, 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 sorry, no. So hang on. We, we, so just for the benefit, before we kind of officially start, which we are, okay. it's recording. This will probably go in the edit anyway. Um, how this works, everybody, is um, if you've not been, in fact, actually in the chat box, can you tell us whether you are a listener or not a listener, whether this is your first, your virgin experience of of JB and me doing these types of things. But the idea poor is... poor things, if that is the case. Exactly. We have uh, a handful of articles that we will talk through um, as part of the session or the podcast, if you will. And we also uh, take your listener questions. We have three listener questions, which we normally do at the end. Plus, we will take prioritization of any real-time questions that come in through the Q&A box. If you are a listener listening live to this recording, on the toolbar, you'll see there's a Q&A box. Click the Q&A box. If you want to ask the question anonymously, just check the anonymous box and then we don't see your name. Um, but we can see using the chat box, there is a dedicated listener in the audience and then the others are yet to speak. So maybe they're here in a passive capacity maybe they just wanted the experience of doing the podcast live but um, I, I know we haven't started yet but mm. i just want to give you some instant feedback oh. you are sounding almost like a professional well yeah but that but anyway well, well again for the benefit of the live audience this is all a bit new for us because normally we have one microphone I know, that's what I'm, yeah i know that's what i'm saying you're just you uh, despite all the all the nerves and anxieties that we have we've been having for weeks and weeks setting this up yeah uh, I'm I'm thoroughly impressed that you're just naturally, you know, doing a professional style uh, broadcast here. Even with a backdrop. So again, all the podcast listeners listen to the recording. This is all useless, a waste of time. But there we go. Uh, anyway, um, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good overnight, um, wherever you are listening to this podcast. I'm Anthony Price. And I'm Jonathan Bradley. And I'm looking at Ant, and he's got a very, very colourful jumper on. And it's um, he's got red and white stripes, which reminds me of the Beano, uh, for those of you who are <laughs> as old as me, which is 150 years old. Uh, you will remember the, the, the little little rag that used to come out. And so he's half Beano. Um, who was that? Who was the character in the Beano? Dandy. D- Desperate Dan. Desperate Dan. Oh, no, Beano, Beano. No, no, that was Dennis the Menace, wasn't it? Oh, I've got all my bloody comics muddled up. So you are um, Desperate Dan. Thanks. I think he and was... also yeah, and right. also little um, gingerbread man with with extremely red lips. He's talking in the microphone. Look, if, if that... yeah, oh, yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. Ant's very colourful. I'm I'm not so colourful. I'm uh, channeling my Sean Connery look today, <laughs> which uh, is a it's a kind of um, uh, what do you call those jumpers? That a turtleneck jumper. Yeah. Uh, it's it cost a bloody fortune. Yeah. And, and ironically, it, it looks like it's from Matalan. So you know, it's, it's well, that's the that's the thing. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, with my with my beard uh, and my good looks, I hope people are thinking. 
this is this is basically Sean Connery in his shed. Or, you know, he's come back to life to haunt us. So the beauty of having a real time audience is there is comments coming in in the chat box. Apparently, one of our people in the live audience today is from Dundee, the home of the Beano. I didn't know that. It's the Beano from oh. Dundee. Are you? They'd also lovely cake, actually, in, in, from Dundee. I think I'm right in saying, uh, dear listener, um, from Dundee, the home of the Beano. Right. Brilliant. I'm conscious of time, JB. We have a, 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 a action-packed hour. So how this works, ladies and gents, whether you are listening live or the pre-recorded version, we have listener questions which you can submit via our social media pages. Um, well, I say our social media pages. We're on LinkedIn and we're on Twitter. We haven't gone on Facebook because, well, we just don't know what we're doing with that thing. It's too hip and down with the kids. You can find us by looking up uh, Lead Learn Pod on Twitter and you can submit the questions via a direct message. You can email us globalleadershippodcast.gmail.com or you can find me and JB individually and contact us directly with the questions. We've got three listener questions pre-submitted and also for people in the live audience, they can submit live questions. Anything about leadership or indeed if you're not a leader and you'd like a proper leader's perspective... If you can judge me and JB to be proper leaders, we'll have a go at that too. We have a handful of articles this week. And also for the benefit of our live audience, we have actually this week put some PowerPoint slides together, which share the links to the articles if you wish to read them afterwards. It's, I tell you what, that's a total service. Bloody hell, Ant. Yeah. Uh, you must have been planning this for weeks and weeks to yeah. get it to this level of professionalism. It's a whole, extraordinary. A whole 25 minutes, have we still Have we still got listeners on our listener panel? Have we got any left? Have they left or are they still there? They're still there. I'm watching that participant panel with uh, with a keen eye and I can tell you that there are people here, so it's all good. Anyway, last time, last time I looked, I think it was about 2,500 people on there. <laughs> And I'm not exaggerating. No, no, definitely divided by uh, 250. Uh, yeah, that's no, I'm kidding. No, there's, there's, a, there's a nice audience there today. So if you have got a live question, we will ask the, answer those as well during the podcast on anything. If you are a people manager or you report into a people leader, ask those questions in the Q&A box and we will do so. Um, before we get into anything, this for some of the live listeners will be the first time of them seeing your shed which for regular listeners of the podcast, they never get to see a physical view of your shed, only the audio description that you and I give. Um, how is how are you settling into the shed? I noticed there's some blinds up now, which is all very exciting. Yes. Um, for those of you who've never, ever put up a, a Venetian blind before, um, no. don't bother. It's, <laughs> it's an absolute nightmare. But anyway, I think, I think they're mostly level. And for the for the benefit of the audience, uh, I might be able to do some clever tricks with the blinds. It's when they fall off live. Dis disconnect myself. Look. Oh, wow. Um, so they actually work. It's live. And um, so, yes, I built this shed from the ground up. And I tell you what, it is the most brilliant, exciting thing I think I've ever built in my life. Um, it is warm. It's cosy. I can come in here and listen to all my favorite music, read all my favorite books, uh, make things, um, and it's a creative center. It's a hub of creativity and innovation. That's all I can tell you about my shed. Um, I don't want to brag about it, but I am actually immensely proud of it. It's, it's a magical it's a thing. thing. It is, it is. It's a real thing. Um, right, let's get into our articles then. Who uh, who would you like to go first, JB? Would you like uh, you to go first or me? I'll give you the choice. Well, can I just say before you go, because something you said earlier mm. um, about who we talk to, uh, you know, I, I think it's important to say that um, we, we talk to all levels of management and beyond. We go upwards, we go downwards, we go sideways. And I think on occasions, and you go diagonal. Uh, and so yeah. we can we, we we don't we are totally totally inclusive uh to our audience we, we're not limited uh to just senior managers or or what have you in fact that would be horrible and i'd stop doing that i'd stop doing this if that was the case so i just wanted to make that point yes so on that 
bombshell. And I think it's time for you oh. to go first. I've exhausted myself already. <laughs> right. So I've decided. So this week I've got one article and unusually I've got a graphic with an attached ah. story that I'd like to share, which is yes. wonderful for the live audience because I'm going to share the graphic. But for the benefits of the podcast listeners, I am going to describe the graphic. And for the uh, podcast viewers, let me quickly go into the Look graphic. There we go. Beautiful, beautiful. Look at that. So oh, uh, the, it's for the benefit of our listeners, I am sharing a image of a warplane. Um, and the story behind this is this was a graphical representation of planes that were turned from war battles. And it was studied by the experts in speech marks to work out um, where they needed to reinforce the planes. So they used this set of data and said, well, clearly. And so what we have is a graphic of a of a top view of an aeroplane. And it's got lots of red dots on all over the kind of tips of the wings. It's kind of got it around the middle of the plane. It, it, there's no bullet holes in the engines or the cockpit or the nose or the midtail. But on the right, the tips of the real right at the back. Again, there's lots of red dots, which would suggest these are the areas that are dam damaged within the plane that we need to reinforce. Now, the reason I want to share this graphic is because actually initially that was their thinking. And by the way, listeners that are looking at this graphic live, feel free to think what your conclusions would be off the back of this graphic. And, and again, I've, I read this and looked at this and thought exactly the same, which is basically wherever there's more red dots, we need to reinforce the plane to protect it from gunfire so we don't have the planes coming back with these holes in it. But another expert said you need to look at the data that's missing to make some conclusions because this graphic only represents the planes that have returned. What about the planes that didn't make it back? And when it's explained to you like that, what they're trying to say is, is that actually where there are no holes would suggest that the planes that, that were hit there probably didn't make it back. The planes that have made it back don't need these areas reinforcing because they made it back fine. And this mathematician um, is a name of a gentleman called Abraham Wald. And basically, he pointed out there was another way to look at this graphic. He said, and the quote is, um, perhaps the reason certain areas of the planes are not covered in bullet holes is that the planes that were shot in those areas did not return. And the insight basically led to the armor being completely reinforced in the parts of the plane where planes didn't get returned with bullet holes. So in other words, if they didn't get hit there, clearly... Um, that is critical to be protected because if they did get hit, they don't come back. And the reason I wanted to share this graphic is I think too often in the current world, we obsess about the data we have to make decisions. Colleague engagement scores, um, decisions for strategic thinking, and sometimes we avoid our instincts. Because if you look at this graphic, actually you can see the cockpit in the planes that have been returned have got zero bullet holes. And actually... It, it, our instinct would tell us if you get a shot in an engine or in the cockpit, it's going to bring your plane down. Whereas in the tips of the wings and other bits and places, it can continue to fly. And I think too often we forget and we look at the data and we think we need to go and look at this particular section of the business because that's what our data is telling us. When actually there's an awful lot of things that we would assume that would, are missing from the data that we should be thinking about. And I think too often at the moment, we obsess about what the data tells us rather than what the data doesn't tell us that we think we know there is a problem about. And if we don't address what's missing um, in our data, then we are sleepwalking into a problem. And I'll, I'll give you an example by this, JB. Um, there has been an example I'm aware of a client that we are working with at the minute where they're saying that they believe in the colleague engagement data that they weren't going to have any resignations. And then they had a load of resignations and they couldn't understand why, because the colleagues never told us this in the colleague engagement survey. So we thought it was fine. We took them for granted. But the problem was, is that what was a common point within the colleague engagement survey was that people didn't trust the integrity of their management. <laughs> and on that basis, they lied in their colleague engagement survey because they were worried by saying anything bad about the company, they'd be found out and fired anyway. So they were lying about their willingness to stay with the company. And guess what? They all left. Um, and now the business is in a massive fixing mode to try and repair the damage that's been done because they overlooked what wasn't being said in the data, even though knowing that the data is only one source of information. So I like this graphic because I think it represents what too many leaders perhaps obsess about, which is the data they have at hand. 
And a lot of good businesses sometimes make a decision based on the data they have, plus their expertise as being a leader and knowing what's morally right, organizationally, and then right for the business and its people. JB, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I, once again, Ant, I think you've pushed the boundaries of podcasting and the future of podcasting with this um, visual and, and the way that you explained this because when i initially looked at and i have to be honest i was a little bit busy and i just saw this plane um with all these bullet holes in it and i i instantly made the mistake of thinking well that's where you're going to reinforce it isn't it mm, stupid um but then i read further and what a, I, I tell you what it makes me think it's like once you've got committed to the building of the reinforcements around where these oh my god have you fallen over no, I was putting the desk down and closing my blinds and getting dazzled. One second, you carry on, I can hear you. Uh, for those of you Sorry who that. can't see Ant, it looks like he's having a fight with his gingerbread man and, and his Beano um, persona. It's really quite extraordinary. He's in the front of his uh, leadership podcast logo and he appears and disappears like some sort of ghost. It's most peculiar. Are you Are you settled now? There he is. Look, he's flying around. He's tussling around. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, and for the recording um, listeners, they wouldn't have realised any of that because I had them muted for my studio recording microphone. But of course, for the audience uh, that are watching it live, they'd have heard the blinds coming down and me crashing around fighting with a gingerbread man. Anyway, I'm back. Carry on. Well, I'm glad you whatever you were doing. I'm glad you re resolved the problem. Yeah. Um, so this uh, visual, I think, is really interesting in that some people get absolutely committed uh, to putting the reinforcements, the the armour around where those bullet holes uh, are now uh, in, in thinking, well, that was, clearly that's what we've got to do. And I think a lot of management teams get stuck uh, and committed to the original idea without giving time and space to the innovation required uh, to go, actually, it's not where the bloody bullet holes are. This sucker came back because it wasn't shot in the wrong place, like where the engines are, and where the pilots are. And I think that's just absolutely mind-blowingly brilliant. And I can think of many times in my career where I think we've probably gone with let's reinforce where the bullet holes are uh, rather than uh, reinforcing where they're not and getting committed to that idea and then having to reverse out of it and all the embarrassment of saying, actually, I think we got it wrong and I'm not going to talk about Brexit, but it's an interesting um, area to discuss perhaps in another podcast uh, in about 20 years' time when <laughs> all the dust has settled. Shall I move us swiftly along, Ant, uh, to um, my little thing, which actually, my my first one I wanted to talk about, uh, is it, I don't know whether it's in, I, I'm going to go in reverse order. Yeah, yeah. according to, to what you put on, on the screen for the benefit of our live audience. Uh, it's all high-tech, uh, everybody. <laughs> and I thoroughly encourage anyone who is listening without the visuals to join us on our next podcast live because it actually is, it's actually quite professional. It's yeah. quite fun. Mm. Um, I congratulate Ant to for making it so brilliant. Right. Um, now, I don't know how many of you uh, have worked in the area of visualisation. Um, and obviously psychologists uh, and uh, cognitive behavioural therapists, uh, CBT counsellors, uh, loads and loads of professionals have been using uh, visualisation uh, for, for a long time. And occasionally I, I will go into that zone myself uh, as long as my clients are up for it. Uh, because if you start doing weird shit with them, they get quite scared. Uh, but visualization is a really, really important thing. And I was having a discussion with my wife yesterday, who is a journalist. So this is the Psychology Today link. This but... is Psychology Today. So I'm doing a big run up to this. Sorry. Um, as on. usual. Yeah. Uh, but um, she was talking about an article that she's writing for a, um, a diet magazine, a diet company. And uh, the article is about visualization and about a story uh, about this man who was grossly overweight. And he's a kind of normal kind of bloke, but year by year by year, 
uh, he packed it on and he identified when that was really happening and it was at weekends and he loves his sport and he'd go down to the football club and eat load of pies and drink loads of beer and you can you, you got you got the picture um anyway he went along to this i won't i won't say who the company is because the the, the article is being written uh, as we speak but uh he worked with them uh and some psychologist um team within within the the company and to, they really wanted to build this test case anyway through the art of tracing his steps back through his week he identified exactly he visualized exactly where this was all going wrong and piece by piece he revisualized it changed the process uh, of his week, got into creating a better appearance for himself, going to the to the football, um, and actually the way that he structured and changed his life around that. He's now considerably thinner. Um, so not only did he change the process, he also changed the outcome. And it got me thinking about visualization in the world of work. And I did a little bit of homework and I came across this piece in Psychology to Get Today. Uh, for those of you who are watching this, you'll see the information on the screen. Um, and for those of you who aren't, Psychology Today, you can pick it up uh, on the World Wide Web. Uh, it's psychologytoday.com. Uh, forward slash gb forward slash blog forward slash living <laughs> blah 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 if anyway you, if, it, you, if you if you i tested this if you search effective visualization techniques um psychology today the the link is your first answer for those listeners in the pre-recorded <clears throat> okay so now i gave the game away a little bit uh a, a couple of minutes ago with the fact that there are two two aspects to visualization uh one is to visualize the process uh, which is what this guy did um, so you you think about your process of what you want to change uh, bit by bit. Uh, so you you really get a clear idea of what you need to to change the 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 track that you need to rebuild. Then you visualize the outcome uh, and you think about what outcome you you desire, which is massively important. So these three things uh, for visualization for us to change our habits uh, fundamentally. Uh, number one, uh, picture and describe. So this is this is the bit where we uh, use our brains, we train our, our brains to, to look at things differently uh, and we visualize it. We create a picture and we describe it. Now, I think this is quite interesting and it plays into things like coaching and mentoring, obviously. Uh, in getting people to talk through what they're visualizing, uh, because this is building those pathways uh, that help us to change habits. And so when people say to Ant or me, you know, why, why bother with coaching? Why bother with mentoring and so on? Well, I think it's a damn good opportunity to get people to do things like this and to connect up a visualization of a future path of something that could work. Maybe it's the breakthrough uh, of changing where you reinforce the plane. Um, and just by doing that bit of thinking and then working out the plan, how are we gonna get there? The process, the outcome is that we save lives. Maybe we'll even save a country. So uh, picture and describe and get people to do that big time. So when you're doing one-to-one, -one, you know, just imagine if, explain, describe, Describe it to me, build a picture, show me and describe it to me, rehearsing what that outcome and that process could be. The second part uh, is uh, what this person described as emotional intensity, emotional intens intensity. I think this is a place where people often neglect uh, in the conversation. It's this awareness generating that's not just the rational uh, microwave bit of thinking, but it's actually embedding those thoughts in how it feels, how it feels, what a difference it's going to make either to reputation, to their life, to other people's lives, 
to, to maybe the whole organization and how they feel about it. They're getting a motive uh, and that creates the buy-in. Um, and, you know, I think there's people on our panel today uh, who will absolutely uh, recognize that, that second point uh, in actually getting any change to happen. Because if you don't get that emotional uh, connection to those visualizations, you're a bit screwed. Um, and the final part um, is the, the kind of, it's called exposure. Um, and this is where I think a lot of organizations need to put energy behind this. And, and exposure means that you create greater awareness of what's going on around you by going and looking and experiencing and noticing and coming back and communicating what you're noticing. There's not enough time spent actually uh, giving people that the benefit of a damn good listening to uh, with what they're actually experiencing in the world of work and beyond. When you connect all these three things together, uh, the picture and describe, you know, that kind of seeing what it's going to look like, um, then feeling what it's going to look like, and then practicing and going, seeing what's going on, uh, these things should be absolutely part of a coach's world, a mentor's world, probably even uh, an instructor's world um, in getting people to use visualization in this way and to focus on those two things. One is process uh, and the other is outcome. I thought it was really great. And by the way, the person's name, uh, which I, I swerved earlier because I couldn't quite read it, but it, it is Janice Wilhauer. Uh, Virginis Wilhauer, uh, and it's a bloody lovely little article in its psychology today, and I keep finding really good things in there, and I said to Ant before, I'm going to subscribe because it's got really useful stuff in it. Yeah, when, when I read this article, um, I thought it was a really good enhancement skill article to share with people that love the Grow Model. Damn right. Because yeah. um, whether so even if you are not trained on the grow model don't worry about that for the purpose of my explanation here but one of the beauties of the grow model is goal in grow is kind of what you want to walk away from with the conversation but you could use grow and actually what's the goal of this entire thing in this in the article's case it's the weight loss that's the goal mm. but the visualization i think and the describe the visualization in your mind uh, allows people to facilitate their own thinking about what the good looks like, the goal looks like, and the journey to get there looks like. And actually, if I want to get the goal, what's the shortfalls, what's the risks? So for me, this article resonated very much with an enhancement. And I think one of the things that me and JB do when we coach each other, because we, we do it two-way quite regularly, is we often think, we, we give questions such as, fast forward 12 months, what does it look like if this problem is resolved? And that is this picture and describe mentality. And I think um, as a people manager, if you use coaching within your toolkit of skills, um, I think this article is really useful to read because you kind of really need to help people visualize what good and bad outcomes look like to raise their self-awareness of the risks and the opportunities that exist. So for this article, for me, I liked it a lot. It got a bit sciencey for me, but the pictures in the article are very pretty. Let me hold up one of them, which I think is, oh, it's because of the virtual backdrop. It doesn't work, does it? No. If I put it next to my foot. Yeah, it's a man sitting on the top of a mountain looking at some clouds. But I guess the idea is you need to be you need to get above your situation to look down on it. And I, that also grabbed me. So, I, yeah, I like this article a lot. Well, as you said that, do you know what uh, sprung to mind? So I, I think so grow model sprung to mind for you. Um, and, and which part of the grow model you you referred to uh, there was was goal. But the reality um, part of the grow model, I think, is quite interesting in, in, in terms of that full oven roast conversation rather than a microwave conversation. Uh, and I quite like that. Um, it could be quite challenging, actually, to think about not just outcome, but also process uh you know the what what processes are required in order to achieve this what processes are happening now describe those processes and then the next level is that okay but how do you that emotional feeling not just the kind of rational intellectual uh microwave yeah it, like this is what happened yeah but describe that describe that uh, describe the feeling of that and then we get the, that connected up and then i thought as you were talking vac 
Yeah. VAC. Um, so learning styles of VAC, visual, auditory, kinesthetic. The visual learning style, uh, along with kinesthetic, uh, are the two highest uh, forms of learning uh, for, for people around the world. So visual is a very, very big stimulant uh, for learning. And when we're in coaching mode, uh, what we're actually focused on is facilitating uh, that learning, that performance, that development. So I think there's some really, really nice connections uh, with that very simple, nice little piece. Lovely. We now move on to my only. So we, we normally have two articles each before moving on to listener questions. And we do have three listener questions this week. Uh, if you are in the audience and would like to ask us a question live, you can use the Q&A box to do it. And it can be a question about an article that we've just talked about, or it can be a question about anything if you want to ask it anonymously, though, make sure you check the anonymous box. Otherwise, we will read out your name. But nine times out of ten, everyone seems to ask anonymous questions. But anyway, the next article I would like to talk about is an article in Harvard Business Review. I don't know if I ever pronounced that correct. Harvard. Harvard. Ha- Harvard. Harvard. <laughs> what, That's what? how I'd say it. But then oh. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a funny I've been watching too much of the. Beard. I've been watching too much of The Crown this week, JB. That's what it is. Harvard. <laughs> Don't be half-hearted. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been I've been binge watching. I hadn't got into it, and then my wife and sister-in-law basically strapped me into a chair and made me watch it to lose myself in in normal Poor life. you! I refuse to watch it. I refuse to. My wife has tried to strap me down and make me watch it, but I refuse. So I just fight her all the way. It's not what I want to spend my life doing. I, I spend most of the episode because they hate me watching these programs because I tend to pick holes in the in in the 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 reality. As in, even if it's a complete drama and it's got no basis of fiction or sorry reality i still well that would be impossible they couldn't do that and they get really cross so they thought by making me watch this which to be fair i'm really interested but i do spend most of my time on wikipedia looking at that's dramatization that's fact um and i think that's a problem it blurs anyway i digress my next article um is an article headlined compassionate leadership is necessary but not sufficient when I, re- I the, the headline grabbed me, if I'm honest, but as I went into the article further, it really got me. Um, the article is in uh, Harvard, um, or Harvard. Oh dear, I think I could be getting an Amazon delivery in a minute, which might mean I'll have to pause you for a second. Um, but Harvard, sorry, for the benefit of the listeners that are listening to the recording, JB's laughing at my pronunciation of Harvard. No, it, it is quite funny. Um, no, I like it though. Please don't stop because it will just chuckle. I'll chuckle along uh, happily in okay. the background. So Harvard. Um, right. So compassionate leadership is necessary, but not sufficient by a, uh, a, a, a authors, Rasmus Hugard, Jacqueline Carter and Nick Hobson um, published last week. Um, and basically, it talks about the fact that, hey, the world is not in a good place right now. Um, you know, jobs are, uh, are being lost. Economies are becoming a mess. Um, spirits are being tested. Um, in the UK, we have Brexit as well to add into the mix. Um, and, you know, generally pe- speaking, look at Trump and the division that he's created in the US. Now, I should flag here, all three of these people are based in the US. And I do wonder if this is a bit of a shot at their outgoing president because he's being particularly... Um, aggressive in some of his things he wants to achieve before leaving office. I've noticed in the news today about executions. But in any case, the article I, I initially got gripped of because it said um, compassionate, compassionate leadership is necessary but not sufficient. And I assume, therefore, it was suggesting that leaders are just not compassionate enough and we need to do more of it, which I thought I subscribe to that. I'm going to read into this article to perhaps talk about it on the podcast. But what then gripped me even more was that it said... <clears throat> There is the thing that's missing with compassionate leadership is that a lot of experts overlook the fact that what we need for effective compassionate leadership is it must be combined with wisdom. In other words, wisdom is the leadership competence and a deep understanding of what inspires people to manage them to deliver on the priorities. Um, you know, leadership, managing people is tough. We get that. It's a completely different skill set to just being, a, uh, you know, Mr. Infinite effing wisdom, as me and JB talk about in, in podcasts. But it requires wisdom, allows you to push agendas, sometimes make difficult decisions, but you are leading in the interest of the business and the people. And this is something that JB talks about frequently. But within this article, they've done a the wise compassion leadership matrix. Uh, And if you Google or your search engine preference, compassionate leadership is necessary but not sufficient, HBR, the article and the graphic will come up. 
But basically it says that wise, compassionate leadership is the ability to do hard things in a human way. And that statement alone, I think, is very powerful. I'll say that again. Wise, compassionate leadership is the ability to do hard things in a human way. Every leader, I suspect at the moment, is being tested. Performance is not where it needs to be. The business is in a massive situational crisis in many situations around the world. If employees of my organisation are not impacted by the current COVID outbreak, their friends and family may well be. Uncertainty is rife. Change is afoot. And what this matrix looks at is that the optimum position on this matrix, their top right, is a wise compassion. So getting tough things done in a human way. Now, if you were to go down the, the, the wisdom um, matrix, you then become an uncaring exe executor. So you put results before people's well-being. So you need to make sure that you have what JB talks about, what's right for the business and the people. And if you lack wisdom and compassion, you're going to have uncaring execution. If you go too far up the compassion end and don't follow the interest of the business, you're going to have caring avoidance. So in other words, you let empathy be the barrier to making difficult choices. You're being too soft. So and then there's, of course, this uh, the, the, the worst case, which is the ineffective indifference, lack interest or concern for others or the business kind of a screw it, whatever it'll, you know, not my problem. So this, and it, it was a really the graphics really interesting. But what really gripped me is the fact that being compassionate is a critical right now and showing empathy is also an authentic empathy rather than I recognize how you're feeling right now. But sorry, we've got to do bad things. Um, that you've got to be honest about the things you have to do in the interest of the people and the business, and you have to be wise with your compassion. Don't offer too much of it, which then snookers you into a corner to then be seemingly making opposing choices based on that compassion. But equally, you have to be human when you are taking those tough decisions. You have to be honest about the difficulties that you're facing. Otherwise, there is a risk you appear uncaring, or you appear too soft and you're then going to kill the business in the process. So I really like this article. Um, the Wise Compassion Leadership Matrix is something that I very much liked uh, in HBR. JB, your thoughts? I want to um, just answer, ask you a question, And because when I saw this fabulous table, and it really is flipping brilliant, I'd recommend people yeah. get this article just to look at this table because it's, it's, it's a good, good one for a good conversation with anybody in a pub or at work. If you, if you took the world, if you're an alien and you arrived on this planet and, and you took the world as a whole and you looked at the human race... Oh, God. All seven and a half billion of us with all our seven and a half billion agendas going around doing what we're doing. What a scary thought that is. Yeah. Um, that alien presented with this matrix, where would you put humanity now? As one world. As one world, because that's the alien only. You know, it goes to millions and millions of different worlds and it's come to this one and it's looked <laughs> at us a lot and it's thought, what the hell have I got here? I think it would be a scattergraph of up and down lines and dots where depending on where they are in the world, but if they're taking one world. One, it's only, it's one, well, I think it's one world to an alien. It, you know, it doesn't look at um, Scotland or, or Memphis or... I hate to Delhi. say it, I think it's in the ineffective indifference on, on balance because too much of humanity is, is probably not got... It, it appears to the alien that there isn't enough consistent concern for other people and there's a lack of interest in creating a harmonized world. It's all about self-isolation, independence, aggression, infighting, um, uh, famine. Uh, so for me, yeah, I'd, I would say it's in the ineffective indifference zone, unfortunately. If it's go to some of the Western world countries, ugh, might edge it over to uncaring execution, possibly. I don't know. It, it, it's a very subjective question, Mr. Bradley. And one in could... front of a live audience could be very, very... Well, but do you think we could get an inv invitation to Davos to actually talk on the subject? Because, I, I, but I, 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 do you know, Anne, I totally agree with you. And I know it's a little bit subjective and it's a bit out there, but actually, you know, scoring the world uh, and, and how it's performing right now, 
lacking interest in and concern for others. Uh, we've got a climate crisis coming. I, I you know, I, I think there are a lot of people who are in serious uh, denial about uh, it being a crisis. It is a crisis. We are in big trouble and it is man-made and uh, people are dying now. Animals are dying. The world is dying and not being too grim about it before Christmas. But, Merry Christmas. you know, if we did give a shit uh, about the world, we would actually um, make make shareholders uh, responsible for uh, the cost to the planet of our growth. So GDP probably needs to be measured in a slightly different way because the planet doesn't seem to appear on that spreadsheet for me. Hmm. Well, I thought this article <laughs> know, was, was, was a great leadership tip and now you've made me realise <laughs> the, the world well, shit. <laughs> well, you see, you see that the, the clue in our, in our podcast is it's a global leadership podcast. Very true. Do you see? And that, so I'm thinking a bit globally here, and for all of us, it's not bloody good enough. It's not good enough. We need to shift up to the top right-hand corner, which is wise compassion, uh, which involves uh, a proper market uh, that we can all invest in and take benefit from, but also compassion uh, at the root of that, that we look after our people properly. It's almost like a metaphor for running a damn good business. But, it is. you know, there, there are is. some learnings from all of these things, I think. And by the way, any live um, uh, uh, listeners to this podcast, feel free to put your comments in the chat box if you have them, because we'll happily read them out anonymously. Um, so do feel free to stick them in if you have a comment on anything we've covered so far. But last but not least, before we move on to our listeners' questions, and I'm conscious we are, I assume, quite limited on time in some respects, let's move to your final article, Mr. Bradley. Well, I can be um, quite quick with this, and uh, because we covered this ground uh, quite a lot, the entrepreneur Europe uh, is another a pretty good place to go, actually, for some interesting, uh, thought-provoking stuff. This one is about the eight soft skills that make you uh, an even better leader. And there's just, a, you know, some of it's a bit repetitive, um, but it's written by Adrian Shepard, uh, and... Let's just quickly whiz through uh, some of these points, because uh, I know I'm conscious of time. Creativity. Uh, I, it always astounds me uh, that organisations don't spend enough time uh, investing in creativity uh, and um, allowing people to use their um, imaginations more. Uh, imagination is not a soft skill. Uh, it's, it is the, the workspace of your brain. And it, it is the difference between innovation and evaporation in an organization. Not enough time is invested in that. I like to see when I walk into uh, a, a boardroom or a any room, actually, I like to see loads and loads of whiteboards or flip charts. You remember those, those kind of post-it, little post-it notes? There's, there's massive ones now uh, that go in flip charts. <laughs> and they're just the best things ever. And you can get people really brainstorming and doing really weird shit and coming up with those kind of ideas uh, that are game changers in an organization. So invest in creativity, uh, persuasion, helping people to advocate uh, their their thinking. Because people, it, it, I mean, I, you mentioned something recently, Ant, at a senior level, people backing away from actually speaking in a situation, in a meeting where they had a voice, but they didn't use it. And I think some people need to be trained actually to persuade uh, the art of persuasion. Uh, and it actually mentions uh, Robert uh, Caldini, uh, the author of Influence, a book I've got right here. It's a fabulous book, by the way. Uh, and, it, and it covers all the um, principles of persuasion, which happen to be reciprocity, easy for me to say scarcity <laughs> authority consistency liking and consensus it's a great book uh and it really does help people to really think about how, if i've got the mic in that meeting what how am i going to get this across uh and a lot of people i think feel a little bit embarrassed to advocate a strong opinion uh, there's nothing wrong with that and we need more of it we need to create a a, a culture where that happens um Collaboration. 
uh, I mean, you and I go on about this an awful lot. Yeah. Uh, but co collaboration skills should be taught at school. You should be able to get a university degree in collaboration. My God, do we need collaboration now? Um, you know, we need we need people to have those fabulous soft skills. You can train hard skills. You can train technical skills, uh, and you can get that done. And it may be obsolete in about three or four years time. Collaboration skills are lifetime skills and they should be taught at the earliest level. They should at least be supported massively in an organization. That must be um, massively important in a, in a leader's toolkit. Adaptability, uh, so, so important. Um, being able to change on a sixpence, uh, that's old currency, you might not have even experienced a sixpence ant because you're only a young whippersnapper. Um, but we need to be able to uh, change direction very, very quickly yeah. and keep people with us, which is all about um, great, great communication, emotional intelligence. And compassionate wisdom. And compassionate wisdom, whether you're global or whether you're the small little entrepreneur like me in a shed or wherever it happens to be. Emotional intelligence should be so, so much higher than IQ. And actually, 75% of hiring managers value EQ over IQ now. So encouraging movements towards that. Mm. It, yeah, interesting. I, yeah. I could carry on with this, or shall we go? We've got a, something in the chat box, and we've got a point there that you might bring in. And then I'll just finish it off at the end. Yes, by all means. I was going to just bring in on the the EQ versus IQ. Um, I, so there's a white paper that, that um, where I'm moving to employment-wise is going to publish on Monday, Tuesday next week. And that is on you hire for technical skills, yet you fire for soft skills. And yes. that feeds into this point very nicely. Too often people are hired because they're a brilliant lawyer, a brilliant salesperson, brilliant accountant, and yet they're fired because they can't collaborate, they're not adaptable, they're not self-motivated, they're, they're useless at time management, they're terrible at storytelling. All of the stuff in this article are the things that are weak, and yet businesses too often overlook those soft skills of a leader in favour of what they brought in as a technical expertise. Brilliant. And I'm going to bring up one of the points. For, I'm, I'm going to call her Wendy. Um, so as not to say who she is. Um, but so Wendy has said, strong opinions are great, but have to be delivered with respect and compassion. It's not what you say, it's always how you say it. I completely agree, Wendy. Uh, it is massively important. Do you know what? I think it's intent. What's your intent? Mm. And watch your intent, because if your intent is right every single time, and I think it does come back to the compassionate wisdom, people know it. They sense it in you. They feel it. And if you're if you're passionate about the subject and your intent is for the greater good um, and for the business and its people, people will know that. And you, you learn to advocate really strongly. So I'm really glad that we got that little point in there. Yes. Thank, um, thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Wendy. Um, time management, always about the plan, getting the planning right and executing that well, getting your priorities right. Um, and being attentive to your performance makes sense. We know we kind of know about time management. We know we've always got things that we can do with it. I don't do lists anymore, by the way, from a previous podcast that we did. I now put stuff in my diary, goes directly to diary rather than uh, in the uh, list of things on my piece of paper, which get lost. Storytelling. Oh my goodness. How important is storytelling? There's another comment coming in the chat box. This is from, we'll call this person Gemma. Okay, Gemma, go live with that and? Uh, soft skills are intrinsic to wise compassion, yet it can be harder to show the value of such behaviours. Um, great to share some case studies which illustrate this, uh, where the plane needs reinforcing. I like all this connection mm. of all the articles together. You see, we've never had yeah. this thing. Normally we're doing this on the fly. We don't really connect. <laughs> Um, no, no, very good point. Thank you, Gemma. I think I called that anonymous person. Can we, can we, can, do you think we can be bold enough to say that this is sort of working? This I, I, I don't know. way of doing things. Uh, um, audience, audience, do tell us. <laughs> Should we, yes, let On a scale of shit, decide. okay, or marvellous. Um, it, it's yeah. work. Uh, uh, um, Wendy says it's working, guys. Oh, good. good. Well done, Wendy. Good. Thank good. you. Thanks, Wendy. Um, yeah. Uh, 
Good. Well, Wendy says it's working, which means the other, the other, you know, one person doesn't think it's. I'm kidding. There's, there's more than that. But anyway, um, right. We, uh, yeah, go on. Well, we, I haven't finished yet because we're going to do, just get, let me finish with sorry. storytelling. Yeah. Um, just how so important that is. Um, and again, I think that should be taught in in um, schools, uh, college, university. It's such a wonderful gift, and we mustn't lose it. Um, and I, I live in Ramsgate, and I go down the pub, and uh, the place is absolutely well, used to be absolutely packed full mm. of storytellers they have been telling stories all their lives and it is flipping marvelous then you go into a cold corporate organization sometimes and there's an absolute absence of storytelling you think look can you all gather around and let's tell some stories and actually before long they start actually i used to tell stories we'll start telling stories come on get excited about um stories because stories are flipping brilliant and stories hold the culture and the values and how the organizations tick who's in it what they mean to everybody storytelling should be just just promoted and storytellers should be ceos and ceos should be storytellers and that's me done uh with the eight attributes of great leadership i'm a bit excited by this yeah can you tell and people in the audience can see his excitement (laughs) and him casting his paper aside um Uh, we we must move on to listener questions because i'm conscious we probably have around about 10 15 minutes more and we do have a handful of questions remember audience live um you can submit your questions in the q a box wendy says we can name her by the way um wendy doesn't mind being anonymous so so joanne joanne from dundee um hello to you and um yes there you go so thank you joanne wendy we'll call you wendy from now on from Wendy from Dundee. When do you when when do you think we should tell people who we really are? Because we're we're obviously not JB and Ant. We're we're other people. Yeah, Chaz and Dave. Yeah. <laughs> um, little and little and large. Who's who? I'm not saying. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Listener questions. Um, Lambert and Butler. Jeez. <laughs> This is, we don't get this into, we don't get this this shit given to us normally. It's outrageous. Right, hang on a minute. I've got to pull up my emails because there was some listener questions. I think Aston Aston and Martin Rolls and Royce. Oh, nice, nice. Right, hold the line, hold the line. Okay, right. Listener questions. Ooh, I'm this feeling one, quite nervous now. This one's anonymous, um, yeah. and it starts. Hello, you cheeky monkey. So they must be a friend of the show. God, that sounds so showbiz. And a friend of the show. I love the program. They didn't say that, by the way. Here's the question. Uh, How do you effectively ask your manager for consistent and valuable feedback without sounding needy and demanding? So I'm an individual contributor and you are my boss, JB. How do I effectively ask you for consistent and valuable feedback without sounding needy and demanding? Oh, well... Well, it's all about you. You've got to you've got to think of yourself as an aeroplane, and think about wisdom and compassion. Um, no, the truth is that I think it's about the framing. Uh, it's all about the framing with these conversations, and uh, I, this this kind of this reverse thing um, here for me. So, if if you're if you're a good boss, uh, then you focus on the art of facilitating the learning, the performance, and the development of the person sitting opposite you. That that is a big, big focus for you. Uh, You're interested in their learning, their performance, and their development. So the reverse of that is someone who has a growth mindset, um, someone who uh, takes responsibility for their own learning their performance and their development and therefore uh, to this person i think it is framing it as uh, i am absolutely committed to building my reputation in this business to this point because of that i am committed to my learning my performance and my development can we have a conversation about those things please um i think that's probably kind of where i'm going you could probably top that and with something else but i think that's what i've learned if i had a boss i'd be going along that on yeah. that basis yeah i think i think um to to harmonize with jb because i think we generally are united on these types of things 
um, JB uh, and I will use this know me, focus me, value me uh, filter. Um, in other words, if as a manager, if I was to go and ask all of your direct reports, how well does he know you? How well does she focus you? And how valued do you feel by your manager? Um, those questions are really useful. And at this time of year, I mean, we're recording this on December, um, on my daughter's birthday, I should add. Um, and um, this time of year is performance appraisal time, you know. So there is generally an opportunity to have these conversations. But I would ultimately, yeah, have it as an aspirational conversation. Look, I am, you know, really keen as part of my career. I want to master the role I'm currently in. In, in order for you to get the best from me, I would like some more frequent feedback. Um, and, you know, let's have a two-way conversation about what those things are that I want feedback on. Is it certain development areas? Is it competencies I need support on? Is it my aspirations need fulfilling? Um, is it my performance in my role is, is lacking in certain competencies and skills, which we can have a frequent check-in on? Um, I think that as a manager, I would find that refreshing because that demonstrates to me that my individual is not needy, but actually is high will they're ambitious and maybe they're probably and the irony thing thing is is that you could also be a high competence individual as well so you could be engaged and performing but you don't feel you're getting it and it's a very subtle way for you to say to me if i was your boss you know i really want to develop further but it's important that i have feedback to know that i'm tracking in the right direction it's even more challenging right now of course because with people working remotely um that feedback is less obvious you know, you're not in an office anymore with 15 other people where you can get a little pat on your back going, well done on that email or well done on that deal or or well done in handling that client situation, which used to happen across the across the corridor at the coffee machine. Now with you all remote, you have to be intentional with your conversations. You know, I've got more 15 minute check in one to ones than I've ever had before because and I'm aware that one of the live listeners today is a new joiner in the company I'm working for. And, you know, I'm conscious that as a new joiner, they need that regular feedback. In the absence of us being face-to-face -face in an office, those check-ins are required. So maybe to the person that asked that question that's in the live audience and probably listening to the recording, use the opportunity of, look, you know, with me working more remotely, it's more tricky for me to know how I'm tracking in performance and stuff. Um, and therefore, I would really appreciate, you know, uh, you to give me more, more feedback on my performance would be my enhancement to JB's very beautiful answer. I love it. And what I love, Ant, uh, is you being deadly serious in that way, uh -huh. uh, with your arms partially disappearing uh, and a gingerbread bread man with red lipstick on in front. Uh, it just sums you up really nicely. Uh, it, you're, you're fun, but you're deadly serious. Uh, the new joiner there in the audience go. has just commented in the chat box that I've been great, apparently. Um, which, uh, by the way, I wasn't angling for feedback um, to say that I'm doing fine. But, you know, I, uh, yeah, yeah. Like um, the Joker. Yeah. 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 Um, so when that when that listener, um, Sharon, says you've been great, <laughs> does that, I think you were taking that personally as it was just about you, Ant. I, I, I'm wondering whether that's a sort of plural. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe. You know, just, just, um, just, yeah, just, just the, be careful because it might be me as well. There's an interesting comment in the chat box for one of the <laughs> listeners, by the way. Also, checking in too often when you're working remotely can seem like you don't trust them. Absolutely good point. Um, yes. I was checking in with another new joiner of our organisation this week and I said, look, I'm really sorry I've not even called you for 24 hours and you've only been with the company a week and I just wanted to see how you were. And he said, actually, I'm finding the empowerment and trust that I have. And I said to my wife, I feel really trusted. I'd never felt trusted before um, to just get on with my job. And I said, well, that's absolutely the thing. I said, but equally, I don't want you to feel neglected. And therefore, and I, and I do sense there is that fine line between micromanagement and um, undervalued or they sense undervalued. If you're remote from each other, there's nothing worse than sending something off completed. You're really excited to complete and then you don't get feedback on it. And you, is it shit? Did it not get through? You know, do you find yourself ringing up yourself to make sure your phone's working? <laughs> you get my point. Yes. It's, well, it's rather like planned spontaneity, isn't it? So, you know, you plan to be spontaneous. And I, I think I, I quite like that term. I don't quite know where I got it from now, but it, it, it's those casual collisions that you would normally get uh, when you walk down the corridor or, or you're making a coffee for somebody. It's just a casual collision. I think sometimes those are the game changers in business world. We can't we can't lose that. So I, I think wherever we can create those kind of casual collisions um, remotely, 
wherever possible. Yeah. Just, just checking in uh, with an idea uh, or something. We cannot lose that. It's so important. Um, okay. Great point. Next listener question, because we're short of time. Uh, what will you be doing this Christmas? That's a nice question. Ah. And that's from Natalie in New York. Oh. Mm. Okay. Well, are you going first? Uh, yeah, I can do. I mean, we're in the UK. We are restricted to three households. So we have um, my um, my in-laws and my, my parents, ultimately. Um, my sister-in-law lives with us, so that's our three bubbles. And it will be a low-key affair. And then subject to restrictions imposed afterwards, my daughter, who is now an adult, which is quite scary, may come and visit early New Year. Um, and that's about it really relatively low key uh, but I do have four children of which one as you can probably gather has left the nest so um, yeah that that's my plans what about yours because it's your first as a grandparent is it not JB yeah well it's tricky isn't it because you know we're probably going to get further down into lockdown um, I've only seen my little baby granddaughter once in um, seven weeks and she was born seven weeks ago so that is um one of the tragedies of of, uh, of this whole sorry tale of, of COVID. But mm. I think I'm probably one of the lucky ones uh, because I haven't lost anyone. Um, we've, you know, we've had it in the family, um, but uh, God, what a year, hey? So this Christmas is a big Christmas. Uh, we're not going anywhere. We can't go anywhere. I doubt we'll be going anywhere. We won't be allowed to, but I am going to make a mercy mission uh, to go and get my mad brother um, from Bognor Regis. He's as mad, as, he's, he's, a, he's officially mad. And he tells me that the difference between him and me is that he is officially mad and I'm not. Um, <laughs> he's certified, is he? He's certified. He is, he's, <laughs> he's on pretty heavy medication. He, you know, he's, he's, he's functioning, but he's absolutely bonkers. I love him more than I could possibly imagine. And he loves Christmas and he arrives like a flashing Christmas tree. Uh, he gets loads of badges um, and sticks them all over him, not on the flesh, on his jumpers and things. <laughs> and uh, he, he just arrives flashing. That, that, that probably sounds a bit dodgy. So we do, uh, <laughs> yeah. Jimbo, Jimbo is, is arriving for Christmas and that makes Christmas very, very happy. And uh, I'm also doing my annual uh, barbecued Christmas turkey. Uh, which involves brining, marinating, and barbecuing. And it's a whole, whole big thing. It takes me hours and hours and hours over Christmas Day. I get completely sloshed in the garden. Uh, it usually tastes okay, uh, but that's not really the point. Uh, it is the festive turkey, and uh, it's all rather good fun. Lots of dancing and singing and merriment. That's my Christmas. Nice does sound fun indeed um we're out of time i think um i have one more question but i'll keep it for next oh. week which is a good starting point and the person who sent the question yesterday and i'll send them a reply saying listen in next week and it'll be answered then it doesn't seem like it's an urgent one it's a thing for the spring but there we go uh, any plans for the weekend mr bradley um we are going nowhere nice. uh this this weekend um oh to be able to go anywhere uh, we just we're, so we're in level three um, in um, in this part of the country, which means that our wings are clipped, um, the pubs are closed, and we're having to entertain ourselves uh, in front of the fire. But that's fine. We'll just walk along the beach, um, come back, get the fire on, uh, have have some mulled wine. Um, Sounds beautiful. And watch shit TV like we normally do. Nice. And that'll be that'll be fine. What about you, Anne? What are you up to this weekend? Less calm and more chaos. Unfortunately, your weekends sound like bliss. Uh, I have in the house a nine, a seven and a two-year-old. And the two-year-old is testing his, his, his strengths of character, amongst other things at the minute. So it is less calm here. Um, so we have a football match to, to watch tomorrow. Uh, we have Christmas presents to wrap. Uh, my sister-in-law is in the process of moving into her new apartment, so we'll be helping her a bit with that probably, um, and then just trying to keep the children tranquilized. To be quite honest, <laughs> so 
that to be our plan. And next week is my last official week at my old employer before I start my new job on January the 1st. So I have a few things to tie up there. Laptops to return and parting shots to shoot just to kind of leave a legacy behind. Wow. Yeah, there you go. Um, anyway, uh, thank you ever so much for listening, and especially those that have been in the audience today. Um, it's a, it's weird knowing that people are listening to it live, but it's kind of nice because it keeps me and JB on top of our game. Because the beauty is, as you probably now realise, for the live listeners that have also listened to our recorded stuff, we do very little editing. It literally goes, we chop, top and tail it, we stick a music bed on it, and off it goes into the to the ether that is the podcast platforms for those of you that are listening on the podcast you can join us live me and jb need to schedule some more of these but i suspect we'll try and always organize it probably on a friday lunchtime it seems like a nice time of day although we did promise ourselves we would do one live under the influence because some of our listeners if you remember used to comment uh, we love it when you're drunk because there was episodes early on when we always did it when we were traveling around the world in hotel rooms and we'd have a bottle of wine during the recording I remember it well. I, I remember the beginning. I never remember the end of those episodes. I was too off my face. So, uh, so yes. Yes. I, that, one of those occasions, I took you up the Danube, didn't I? I think you did, and I'm still not walking straight since. Um, well, that's, um, <laughs> that's always that an opportunity to, <laughs> to throw that little one in there. So you, um, can, you can submit questions, by the way. Email us, globalleadershippodcast.gmail.com. You can do it via social media. Um, if you're in the live audiences, you can submit them live. But everyone's been shy today to submit them live, but that's fine. They've been very comment. They've been very engaged versus the chat box, which has been lovely, hasn't it? I feel quite warm and fuzzy about them. I just want to check. And they say, oh, no, they've said... Some of them there. Some of them have dropped off. I think yeah. some of them have got other yeah. calls and things to go to, so... Yeah, well, they're probably, probably at work, aren't they? Yes, yeah. Oh, that's a bit naughty, isn't it? Um, anyway, um, so, uh, but thank you very much for listening. Uh, I've been Anthony Price. And I've been Jonathan Bradley, and it's been an absolute blast doing this live. Um, I look forward to doing it on many more occasions. Let's visualise... A very, very happy 2021. Goodbye. Goodbye.